0: Hello and welcome to Florida Basketball Hour. I am Neil Blackman, Saturday down south. On this episode, Eric Fawcett and I will down Florida's win over Missouri. First win over a ranked opponent in the Todd Golden Era. We will also get into a 54-52 heartbreaking loss to Texas A&M. Um, man, Buzz Williams, such a good coach. Uh, such a good coach. And uh, we will break that one down, talk about Florida's continued improvement on defense, what we think they might be able to do offensively, just to improve a little bit, and uh, we'll get into Mississippi State, pretty long preview of the Bulldogs, given that you know it's really one of Florida's most important games of the season um, when you really look at the big picture and Florida's NCAA tournament hopes. Guys, hope you uh, hit us up with a review, appreciate you listening, make sure you subscribe to our Patreon, uh, Patreon.com slash Hour, just any of that uh, all helps us. So uh, thank you and enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to Florida Basketball Hour. I am Neil Blackman, Saturday down south. I will be joined momentarily by Eric Fawcett, GatorCountry.com. And we are going to break down uh, a couple of games for you. Florida's big home win over number 20 Missouri. First win over a ranked opponent in the Todd Golden Era. First top 50 uh, Ken Palm. Well, I guess it wasn't a top 50 Ken Palm win. First top, first ranked opponent win. <laughs> first top 50 net win in the Todd Golden Era. And then we will discuss uh Getting uh the buzz kill, I guess, of of getting uh beaten by Buzz Williams for the fourth consecutive time as a program. Gators have now lost four straight to Buzz by a total of nine points. So it's not like the Gators are getting routed in those games, but L's are L's and dubs are dubs. Starting with the Missouri game and welcoming in Eric Fawcett, who joins us now. Eric, how are you doing tonight? Oh, doing not uh not so bad. Um, how are you doing tonight? And I can't complain. I mean, it would have been uh, would have been better to be talking about two wins tonight, but uh, you know, even if Florida had won, we would have said they stole one. So, feels like one and one is fair. Yeah, that's probably about it.
1: Um, I would say, uh, which is uh, you know, it's 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 kind of funny. I'm not sure what you were kind of uh, mentioning. Uh, I just caught the tail end of your your intro there, but it, it's so interesting how. Like, again, like th- so many coaches and, you know, fans and media, everyone is like, oh, like, you know, like the AP pool doesn't matter. But it's just funny to see how, like, functionally, like Missouri was considerably lower. Uh, well, not considerably, but like eight spots lower than the Gators in Kenpom. And the game is played, you know, in Gainesville. And I'm not trying to, like, pour cold water on, on Florida's win and say like, oh, well, like, you know, they should have won, but it also was like, you know, they were favored to win. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like at least according to a lot of, but because they have a number beside their name, it it, it ends up being like, it ends up being a bigger thing. So even when, uh, um, definitely, a, definitely a good win. And you, you mentioned some of the, some of the reasons why that the Gators don't have many great wins and, and this still was a, you know, a good win for sure. Um, but, uh, I also do wonder if we're just kind of looking at the SEC a whole and where teams lie. Um, was Missouri the 20th best team in the country when they came to Gainesville? Um, I did not believe so before that game. Looking at them, I, you know, see that again. Um, but again, I'm not, I'm not trying to diminish Florida's win. It was still a good team, even though it was, uh, you know, I do not think that Missouri was uh, as good as their AP poll ranking would. Uh, would suggest.
0: Yeah, look, 71 possession game. Um, against Missouri, Eric, and to hold Missouri to .9 per possession. I think if we focus on, like, a couple different things tonight, but the biggest one continues to be the story of Florida's defense and just the way that they have defended marvelously, really, since they got back from Portland, um, where they really got shredded by by, uh, Xavier in a kind of weird shot-quality game, but then absolutely shredded by West Virginia any way that you – you look at it and then uh to hold a really good offensive team in Missouri to 0.9 per possession in a you know I won't say a high possession game but 71 is not low um you know that's that's outstanding
1: hmm and i I do just want to say you know one thing and and i'm I'm really interested in your thought this is we're getting into very the, theoretical territory here but but something that I think is so funny it happens every single year with media and fans and uh it, it it's funny because a lot of media will will always talk, oh strength of schedule strength of schedule. but then every year, you know big, big media members, fall prey to looking at a record and saying like, wow, that's an impressive record, even without strength of schedule. So again, going to this Missouri situation. So like Missouri comes into Gainesville with, you know, losing to the best teams that that they have played, most of them. They were able to get a win against Illinois when Illinois was reeling. They were able to get a win against Kentucky when Kentucky was reeling um you know they get blasted by texas a and m they lose to florida and you know we know what florida's like and now they were just able to get a win against arkansas but arkansas is in a whole lot of trouble right now so like again so and i was also say missouri currently 54th in ken palm but it's it's like you know a couple of weeks ago when uh uh when the, you know, Chris Beard situation went down as it did. One of the first names people were like, Oh, who should they hire? Like a lot of the national media and national media shows were saying like Dennis Gates, a guy who has done like, again, I'll do respect to to Dennis Gates, but he hasn't accomplished a whole lot and has one, you know, good start to a season when he beats up on teams that are not very good or beats high major teams that are, that are struggling. And suddenly, as soon as one of the biggest jobs in the country opens, people are like, oh, well, you got to at least, you know, think about Dennis Gates. What I'm saying, I do have a point. I'm not just trying to take Missouri basketball down. I love, no, I we, love I, you know, I love we, we love our Missouri basketball. What I'm saying to you, Neil, let's say that let's let's back. Let's let's say that Todd Golden came into a situation at Florida where he got to make his own schedule, which we obviously to we keep saying it on the show, but um, we'll say it again. Um, just for in case people are new listeners. If you're new, love to have you. Thanks for being here. Um, Todd Golden had like no control of the schedule. He scheduled one game. It was a neutral site game or a semi-neutral or semi-home, I mean, um, against Ohio. So functionally, Todd Golden had like zero to do with the schedule. Say Todd Golden did have access to his schedule and say he chose to beat up on a bunch of really bad basketball teams. How do you think perception perception would be? Because right now the Gators are higher than a team in Missouri. Missouri has all these wins over not very good teams. And suddenly Dennis, there's people who are saying Dennis Gates should get some of the biggest jobs in college basketball. And we know what the conversation has been around, around Todd golden. And Hey, let's we're where we have our criticisms of Todd golden. Like, you know, we're not, we're still in that boat a little bit, but how much do you think scheduling could have, or would have changed the perception of, of, of golden, you know, if, if say he beat up on a really weak schedule.
0: Well, I'll take it one further. I think, Not only would the perception be different, but the odd thing about this time of year is because the committee hasn't sat down and seeded the field yet, right? They do that in a couple weeks. I think they, you know, they, they get out and seed 16 teams, right? That's that comes at the end of January. So we are really two weeks from that happening. Um, I think it shapes reality. I mean, look at bracket matrix and, and you know that we, you know, I don't need to tell you, Eric, how valuable we think that tool is. But Missouri's a nine seed. Like they are safely in the field in bad in bracket matrix. And, you know, I get it. I get it in the sense that, you know, they beat uh they beat Illinois, who's pretty good. Uh, and then they beat Arkansas last night, who's kind of a mess, but it's still, you know, certainly I was pleased as a Florida person that covers Florida to see Missouri win that game, Um, you know, but uh, they're safely in and Florida is still 19th, 20th team out. Now Florida's percentage chance of making the field is up to 22% or 21% I saw. So it's a little higher than it has been, um, believe it or not. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, I think it, I think it shapes not only perception, but it kind of shapes reality a little bit because, The reality is if the selection committee met tomorrow, most people would expect Missouri to be in the NCAA tournament and not really in the bubble discussion. And to that point, take a team like FAU. They are 12th in the net and on bracket matrix, they're a 10 seed right now. So, you know, it is, it really does have to do like, are you from a power league? And what's your record? Those are things that in our talking points early in a season and it takes a while sometimes into February before we can really divorce ourselves from those talking points.
1: Yeah. It's just, it's,
0: it's interesting to me. And, and again, I kind of felt um,
1: the same way. And, and again, he has shown since, but this was, you know, a couple of weeks ago with the with the Chris Beard situation, which I'm not trying to comment on that, or <laughs> we don't need to talk about that on this side, uh, this podcast. But uh um again, when it was one of one of the other names too was was that they were saying, like, oh, like, or there was even some big national shows that were saying, like, oh, this is the guy they should hire him was Jerome Tang. And at the time, Jerome Tang had beaten like Nebraska and like LSU and then just killed a bunch of really bad teams and that was his head right. and, and, and just it's just so, so funny that like some of these big big media members that really control the narratives still will like as much as when it comes tournament time they kill teams that don't have a good strength of schedule but midway through a season they all get suckered by a 12 and 0 record in conference or, or a non conference player a 12 and 1 record even if you're beating you know sisters of the poor and and east west state and all that so um i just i just again i i i I've, you know, I've been plenty critical of, of Todd Golden to, to start, not to say that we have closed the book on what he is as a coach or what his time at Florida is going to be. But like, it's just funny to think that like, again, national media has been pretty down on Florida. And quite frankly, I, I agree with them, but had Florida played the worst teams possible and came out like with 10 wins and non-conference play playing all teams outside of like one fifty and Ken there'd be a whole lot of people that are like, Oh, Notre Dame open. Like, man, maybe they need to look at Todd gold. Like, you know, like there would be, the, there would be those conversations not to end. Oh gosh. I shouldn't have used that as an example. Now people are going to say like, Get uh, what's, a, what's, what's a better job between Notre Dame and Florida, which is not any, I I just was uh, saying like any big job, you know, that, cause we have seen that, yeah, that, happen, right, that right, happens right, every right. single year. But anyways, um, it's, it is interesting to now see like the real, I'll say the real bracketologists are now like starting to uh, release their stuff. Like, again, there's always bracketology, like a couple weeks into the season, the guys that we really care about will start about now. Um, or, you know, some of them, some of the guys we that are legit good, will still like put out some bracketology, but they'll put it out. Like, just like, Hey, just, you know, you want it, I'll give it to you, but there's a lot of season now. Now we're starting to see the, you know, some, some good bracketology coming out from the people we trust. And it's really interesting to see like, like there are some people that have the Gators as like one of the last four teams in, or like on the bubble, and there's some teams that do have, like you said, nowhere, nowhere near. And it's truly a fascinating resume with no, really no good wins. I mean, again, wh- where do you put Missouri? Like that? I guess that's a good win, okay win. I, I don't even know what to yeah, say about that much. one. But, uh, but you know, no terrible losses, and um, I don't like again. I I'm no bracketologist – if the season ended tomorrow and Florida was out, I would not be able to make a good faith argument why I think the Gators no. should be in the field. So if this somewhat holds, like I think Ken Palm, I haven't looked at it today, but I, I think that for a while now, Ken Palm has projected the Gators to finish um, like nine and nine in the league, which would put them at like what, like 17 and 14 or something like that. Um, yeah like i i well i think rocco said it best when he kind of suggested on our show that like nine and nine would, would not be enough and i'd have to agree yeah. with him like if this team ends 17 and 14 with i presume and if that holds presumably not having a lot of marquee wins but also not having bad losses i'm yeah that's a team that uh can't really get in but anyways that was just something i was thinking about as the uh gators were taking on uh Get a win over Missouri, a team that, um, you know, I I think the AP poll was a little too high on. But, hey, I'll say this to any coach who goes from the mid-major ranks to get a a high major job right away. Honestly, you should just go and schedule the worst possible teams you can because there's going to be national media members who are going to get suckered by you starting the season 8-0. So, it's funny. It'll happen happen again this year. It'll happen again um, in future years. Um, Todd Golden was not lucky enough to be in a situation where he could have scheduled a bunch of garbage games and reeled off a bunch of wins. And uh, yeah, now we're in a situation where, yeah, the record doesn't look great. And, uh, but Hey, good, good win against, uh, against Missouri where we're still in the conversation before I derailed it.
0: <laughs> no, it's all good. I mean, look, we can, we can get it back on track uh, pretty quickly. It, the, the remarkable thing to me is this Florida won this game by 20 points. If you eliminate the first media segment, I mean, you know Florida gets behind 11 nothing they have been just crushed by bad starts all season um some of it i think as like a defensive coordinator for a high level program myself i feel like a lot of times your first big defensive adjustment actually happens at the first media timeout because you have a scout they have a scout for what you do defensively and so they've got some – if they have new wrinkles or anything different, like you're kind of trying to adjust to that. And then you see it for four minutes, and then you make it a little shift. So I think Florida's defense comes out of the gate slow sometimes because of that, Eric. Um, and I do think Florida kind of adjusted, uh, notably just making dribble drive penetration a little more difficult after the first four minutes of the game, um, getting into the gaps just a little bit more switching just a little less than they were switching in the first four minutes. Um, But yeah, I mean, it's just super impressive to me because again, I mean, this was not like, I guess Florida hit open threes in the second half, but this was not a game where Florida looked particularly good on offense at any point in time. And they had 19 turnovers again at home.
1: Yeah. The, the offense uh, really is, is what it is now. It's going to just keep probably trickling in throughout the, the podcast whenever we want to talk about it. the offense is what it is but um yeah the defense has been <laughs> spectacular i i think that like you mentioned neil which is a, a a great point they're uh they're sitting in the gaps a little bit more and and i think that that was the case again um as well against texas a&m where they they had a lot of success um controlling those guards we'll talk about that but um it, which which again i i think has a couple of of Benefits to this team because one, it's stopping dribble penetration against talented guards, but it's also keeping them out of rotation, just kind of those like closer closeouts. You sit in the gap, you sit and help, and then you kind of close out to your own man. So it kind of keeps the yeah. gators out of rotation a little bit and out of switching situations. So so that's big. And of course, Colin Castleton is protecting everything at the rim. And um, when you compact it a little bit, you kind of keep him out of maybe having to X out and, and get to the perimeter. He's kind of getting to stay at home as well. So it really is a um like again, I'm not I'm not just trying to rag on the offense, but like it is disappointing that like these these defensive efforts have been like spectacular. But because it's things are so bad on the other end, they're either not winning convincingly or losing games or you know, squeaking one out like well, I, I'm not speaking well. They ended up sorry, they ended up winning somewhat solidly convincingly against missouri but it has that feel like they kind of squeaked one out you know what i mean like that seems to be like like that's the feel i have and i kind of feel the same way even against like lsu yeah. where the gators ended up winning convincingly but at the same time like just the feel of it was like man they kind of seemed to squeak that one out because it was like such a slog for 35 minutes but um i, I again the defense has been spectacular and i i feel too like for the Gators who are just so dog dogged on the defensive end. I do feel like there's an element too that. Like yeah, offense, like opposing offenses can come out from the opening tip and get through their stuff. But it's like eventually, well event, not even eventually very quickly. It seems like they get worn down um, probably more mentally than physically, but then later it's probably physical, but right, right away it's just like the Gators are really frustrating teams. And um, if the Gators do start to, to win some ball games here and start to make a case for, um, making the NCAA tournament, like it's gonna be kind of fun to get behind this defense. Um, like we had a lot of fun on this show with some pretty bad offenses in the Mike White era, um, which still, I mean, we're a lot better than yeah. this offense from an efficiency efficiency <laughs> standpoint, but uh-huh. like we really got behind these like Kayvon Allen dog in the ball and Cavarius Hayes' pick and roll defense, or like it was kind of like Fun to cheer for a team that's just like so good defensively that's like gritting out games, but like at some point you've got to win to take enjoyment in that. Um, so against Missouri, um, they were able to do that, just completely outlasted Missouri because their defense was was so good.
0: Yeah. Worst Florida offense from an adjusted uh offensive efficiency standpoint since Billy Donovan's last season. Um, when they finished 114th in that metric Eric. And you know what? That team. Uh, also couldn't shoot. Uh, so similar to this team in that respect. But um, some of that couldn't shoot stuff was injury-related. Michael Frazier, who could shoot, uh, missed seven games with an injury. Dorian Finney-Smith, who uh, certainly could score, um, missed several games with an injury. Uh, and so it got to the point where Florida had to start a walk-on. Um because there was a John Igbunu injury. Go, go big shocker there, I'm sure, to everyone listening. Um, so Jacob Kurtz started, and and Jacob played hard, but he was a former student manager starting for a Power Six basketball team. Um, and then Florida had Casey Hill at point guard. We don't need to talk about his shooting prowess uh, to most our listeners. And then Chris Chioza, freshman Chris Chioza, as the backup. And gosh, I think Eric Fawcett and I are – leaders of the band on the Chioza fan club, but you know, certainly not like the greatest shooter. Uh, so, you know, that team still with a walk on starting was more efficient than this offense. Interestingly, that was a great defensive team, um, which also shouldn't surprise anyone. I mean, they had Chris Chioza and Casey Hill and Kamarius Hayes and Dorian Finney Smith. And you get those guys out on the floor, you're going to be able to guard. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, this team, it is, it's great to watch a really good defense again. It's been a few years really since before Kerry Blackshear arrived. Uh, so I guess Kavarius Hayes, (laughs) Mm -hmm. um, that that's kind of the, the last like great Florida defense. And, um, yeah, I mean, this is definitely a great defense. It, It certainly won the game against Missouri, uh, for me.
1: I I actually have a Kavarius Hayes um, uh, note that I totally forgot. I was going to bring this up like two podcasts ago and it just like didn't come out naturally. Um, But I was, you know, doing what I do, watching a little bit of EuroLeague basketball. And like, again, I used to be really good at following um, like where all the Gators went in in Europe um, and like or around the world. I could tell you like wherever played. In recent years, that has become more difficult. I don't know. But I've got to say, I was watching EuroLeague and uh, one of the best teams in the country, Zalgiris, um, in, in Lithuania. I was, like, surprised um, just because I didn't know. But, you know, playing at center, significant minutes for one of the best teams in the world um, is Kavarius Hayes. And I just wanted to just mention to people who, like, um loved Kavarius Hayes if you listen to this podcast you probably do because you're smart enough to see the situation he was in and how good he was and and as you mentioned like he was the defensive culture at at Florida Florida was a good like Mike White's teams were good defensively with Kavarius Hayes and the moment he left even though they got other good defenders at other positions they were not good defensive teams so um I just like just for people who like want to know like so he I was actually really like impressed like out of um Uh, like after he graduated from Florida um, he got to a pretty good club in in Italy which is a good league not a tremendous league Um, then he went to Asvel in, in France which was like because he played well in Italy and because he played really well in France he went to the Turkish Super League which is like one of the top leagues and and because he played well there he's like in in four years is just like stepped up stepped up stepped up and now he's with zilgiris who's one of the best clubs in the country, like or sorry in the world like outside of the nba like they could they could hang with with nba teams i don't think they beat them but like those are the teams that come over an exhibition and like you know, beat an NBA team in, in, in exhibition, which is you know different than a competitive game. But I just wanted to mention that because I was going to mention the other day, I was just watching still gears because I wanted to see some beautiful offensive actions that I could clip. And, uh, then there's Kavarius Hayes catching lobs, looking a lot better offensively than his time at Florida. And yeah. we, know de- we know what he is defensively. So um, shout out to him. Um, shout out to Kavarius Hayes. Good to see you just having immense. So, and again, for you also like, so for, for sure, he's now making hundreds of thousands of dollars. That's probably tax free. Cause that's how it rolls over there. So I'm sure he's, um, for athletes, So I'm sure he's living quite comfortably and playing very good basketball. And I'm remem- remembering too, before his last season at Florida, I think there was a story and I don't remember who wrote it, but like, there was, you know, something about him kind of like questioning how much he loved basketball and how much he wanted to pursue it. And now like four years later, he's like, was playing in summer league in the NBA, but like is honestly at a better, much better situation than hanging out on a G league roster right now, playing in Zilgeiras. So uh, yeah, shout out to him. Um, but uh, yes. Yes defensive uh you know to to it to cheer for a good defense at florida um it is it is really fun and it's also something that i feel like the players can kind of like are, are enjoying and i think that's big too because it'd be pretty easy to say like wow this offense is not working um players love to score and uh sometimes when it doesn't happen it hurts their defensive effort but that is not the case with this with this florida team who is uh taking great pride on the defensive end um and uh if they're yeah again just to reiterate like man if uh if they're able to get that offense a little bit better and win some games like it's going to be fun for fans like i think fans can get behind teams that are really defensive minded like in a way that like of course the extreme example is like um is like virginia fans like they play so slow which a lot of fans around the country would hate and you know they're they're good offensively they're usually not great but usually good but then they're obviously elite defensively and like that fan base just like takes such immense pride in the their style of play and their kind of like defense first mentality and you know what hey if the gators were winning i think fans would would love that and really get behind it they love everyone loves effort everyone sees seeing love seeing high like athletic guys working really hard and playing dedicated to the defensive side of the basketball so there's a there's a chance that this team can become uh um you know much more loved by the fans than than they were early in the season and uh it's uh yeah, it's just uh it's so impressive to see from this team that was struggling to guard in the first couple weeks of the season to now being so elite.
0: So I have a let's let's pose a difficult question before we transition into AM. And this is almost sort of the perfect segue uh to the AM discussion, honestly. And that is, you know, what can Florida do necessarily to get that offense um to where you know, becomes at least good enough to, to win some of these tight games that they're going to need to make the NCAA tournament. Because we, what we know, Eric, is continuity ball screen isn't really working. Um, it's not that surprising that a predominantly continuity ball screen offense wouldn't work great at the Power Six level, but here we are. Uh, and then, you know, we got last night where Florida did do a better job at attacking ball pressure, uh, much like they did against Auburn um, where they finally started just attacking Auburn's ball pressure and they got some easy looks at the rim. Now Florida missed a lot of bunnies and that's why they had a kind of shot quality victory yesterday. That was relatively comfortable by the way. Um, But you know, a lot of good that does you on your NCAA tournament resume. So, so what are your thoughts on that? And like, you know, we don't need to make this a referendum on Kevin Huff Day. We'll let the crazy Twitter people do that. But like, it seems like an adjustment is warranted because it doesn't seem like the talent is so poor that Florida should be 123rd in offensive efficiency.
1: Yeah, that's, uh that's right. Um I do think that this offensive talent on the team is, is pretty good and, and proven for a lot of these players. This isn't like a lot of the offensive production isn't, isn't theoretical. The guys have lot of guys have done it and scored at a high level um and again i I don't remember which game it was off the top of my head but i i I know there was one game where they got a little bit more away from the continuity ball screen and and ran a little bit more delay through con castleton and they once again had a really bad offensive night and i kind of came on the podcast and was like hey i'm not going to kill them for trying something new after the offense they're using was was really bad. So there's honestly still a part of me that's like hey, things really can't get much worse. If they wanted to sh- scrap it and go late season offensive change, like what's the worst that's going to happen? You're going to go from 125th to 145th. Like 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 I, again, I'm be, I might be sounding toy or whatever, but like realistically, the difference between 125 and like once you're once you're where the gators are, there's between 125 and like 155 isn't isn't a lot. And we'll yeah. see and we'll see that on Saturday when the gators play like 175 or whatever Mississippi State as like the the difference between where the where the gators are at 125 and and or one, whatever they are, 121 now. They went up a little bit since I think post, right after post game, when I refreshed Ken Palm, it was like 125. I think they're 121 now. Mississippi State's like in the 170s. And like, you know, functionally, there's not a huge gap between those kind of two marks. Um, so I, again, like what's, I, I wouldn't mind them changing. And, and again, I could go into the things that I would like to see them run, but that's for maybe a Patreon podcast where we're watching film um, or live thing. Um, but, uh, again i still would like to see them get if like if i if if it like was starting tomorrow what would i do that's kind of within the gators realm of what they're doing yet for sure no more continuity ball screen if you want to start the if you want to trigger do one of their initial triggers and get into an empty side ball screen sure but the like action of of just trying to go like side ball screen by side ball screen and losing possessions with your third best ball handler running pick and rolls like that's just that's that, that isn't it in my opinion. So, um, I would, I would use these triggers to get into one empty side ball screen for your best pick and roll ball handler. We can talk about who that is or not, but, um, and then I would, you know, get into something different. And, uh, again, they, we did see like a little bit more of the kind of delay five out stuff, but where, and I just would love to see the Gators getting a little bit more downhill of these like pin down into dribble handoffs. But it seemed like every single time they went to that, the, the player receiving the pin down curled it. And then the player setting the screen went for the dribble handoff of the ball or to the ball for, for a get, which again is fine, but they did it every single time. And uh it became very predictable. And if, and Buzz Williams, who was excellent, um, trapped, trapped that dribble handoff every single time, trapped Colin Castleton. Um, This is no fault of Colin Castleton's and just became easy to guard because Florida's doing the same thing every time. So I still would commit more to the five out delay stuff and um then pr- two more things i i could probably just keep going forever but <laughs> po- posting up colin castleton Gators need to get into some splits away from the ball, not just cutting one guy from the 45 to the opposite corner. They were not dynamic enough. Um, So when Concast was getting these post touches that are too far from the hoop, there's not a faction away from the ball. And the last thing I'll say, which is maybe going to be, you know, you can comment on any of these things, but the last one is something I would be interested in you commenting in. And uh, some people are going to cringe when I say this. So prepare yourselves. Like right now the Gators are 137th in the country in possession length. I am all for the Gators going complete defensive rock fight mentality and getting that possession length down to like 300 and making this, these games as low as low possession as possible. And again, when there's opportunities to run, they need to take them because they need to get easy transition points when possible or higher quality looks in transition whenever possible. But in the half court, I wouldn't mind seeing the Gators play a lot slower and not taking a lot of these early jumpers, 25 feet from the hoop for, and instead trying to just get a lower possession game where their defense can win out. So those are my multiple kind of thoughts. But uh, what is your thought about, um, you know, do you think Florida should try to like grind this thing down to a slower pace or what do you think?
0: Oh, I for sure think that, I mean, and I look back at that that Donovan team that I mentioned that finished under 500 and, you know, um, they were 347th in luck, which tells you a little bit about some of the stuff. I mean, when you lose a game because, your walk-on tips in a rebound. Um, you may be star-crossed in terms of of your long-term wins and losses, right? Uh, but that pretty invincible Kentucky team that season, Florida led them for 30 minutes at home. That's how good they were defensively. And the whole point of that game was that Billy slowed the game down. Just, just, just a tedious crawl and said, you know what, we're going to make Kentucky score in their half-court offense, and hopefully Casey Hill won't turn the ball over. And so that worked for a while, and then in the second half, him and Chioza had some turnovers, and Willie Colley-Stein got runouts, and the game kind of got away from Florida just a little bit. Um, and that's the other thing. Like, Yes, the one bad side of the, the low-possession game is like, If it's too low and you get behind by like eight, it feels Mm. like 25. Um, But on the flip side, I think, you know, for me, the way that Florida is playing defense right now, I mean, shoot, Eric, they scored 12 points and a half yesterday and weren't run out of the building in a sold out place on the road. I mean, like, you know, that's how well they're playing defense. So yeah, I mean, I would, I would totally do that. And, And again, I, it's, there's all these like, and I get the goggles, right? Like the happy goggles from the Donovan era make total sense. We're seeing in Arkansas right now, just how hard it is to get yourself in a position and you go to a third straight elite eight, let alone four times in a row. Right. Um, But all of those teams were in the three hundreds, except for one in tempo, right? Like, it's not like, all of them were in the 300s in possession length. Like there was a reason and a method to that madness. And a lot of it was, look, we have these guys that can defend. We've got Will you get? We've got Pat Young. We've got Casey Prather. You know, we have Scotty Um, You know, we the the only team that played any faster was the one with Brad Beal. <laughs> I mean, that's it. So, you know, I I think so, and I also think like. You know, Texas A&M doesn't – those guards aren't super flashy, but, like, they're good. You know, they're veterans. They've been through battles. One of them has been to the NCAA tournament. They don't turn the ball over. And so that's a problematic matchup for Florida a little bit because they kind of need guards that, you know, even if the guards are really good, like guards that turn it over a little bit, like Kentucky's guards, I think Florida can get runouts against Kentucky the way they're playing defense. Um but those buckets weren't to be found last night in the AM game. Kind of tying these things together. So that's kind of my long-winded answer before I hijack the whole conversation. No, it's good I threw it to you for a
1: long answer like that. So that's great. And and again, like if they do get down by 8 like the scenario you're talking about that teams that play slow aren't built towards then it's like, well, like then you can play faster. There's nothing stopping you to, but like I think the Florida should go in to the, to a lot of these sec matchups with the goal, like, especially like, Hey, when the Gators play Alabama or Tennessee, I mean, Tennessee is not great offensively. So maybe not a great example, but they are a good team that's winning like Florida's end goal should be like, not angle. I think they should enter the game with an idea that they should try to keep possessions as low as possible. And then, yeah, of course, if you get down by double digits in the start of the second half. Then like, yeah, you're going to want to crank it up a little bit. And again, I think that because they've played fast, uh, fairly fast, I'll say in the half court, to this point of the season like you know clearly they're at least somewhat they're comfortable playing fast maybe not efficient but like they have no problem playing fast so it's like that then you can then you can crank it up but um i mean another thing too and like okay believe me i am not uh i'm not uh i'm not comparing the 2014 team to this team and saying that it's similar but, like, with all – like, something that's incredible about the 2014 team is that, like, offensively, they were so much greater as a whole than the, some of their parts, I'll say. Like, they didn't have these guys that were really flashy one-on-one guys who could really make plays with the ball in their hands. No. Like, that was real – like, Scotty Wilbekin was a really good pick-and-roll operator, but it wasn't like he was, like – uh what's a similar guard it was like he was like like Peyton Siva who was just going in isolation and cooking guy like he wasn't like that kind of little guard yeah Um, and uh he was really smart and and like tactical and you know like Patrick Young was like not like this like face up jab 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 step back jumper big man he was you know operating on the block he was getting offensive rebounds He was finishing on cuts like Willie Aguette was like ultimate glue guy moved the ball like you know and then you know Casey Prather My- Michael Frazier was a spot up shooter, but he wasn't like, one, um, great one great shooter
0: one great shooter.
1: yeah, but not someone who was a who was like could initiate a whole lot. So again like no not at all. so and and they were great because they and so tying that into why they played slow was because they made the other team guard a, a lot of actions. of course the 35 second shot clock at that time. so in that 35 seconds, they made the other team guard a whole lot of action and that made for ultimately a good shot. So for this team that cannot create a very good shot right now in the current age, if they played slower and made the other team guard more actions. And again, someone's going to say, "Hey Eric, you said that's why they could run or that's one of the strengths of continuity ball screen. You could see if they could, you know, make the te- the other team guard four side ball screens in the same possession." Um yeah, like I like hypothetically. And again, if the Gators got into it a little bit quicker and were not taking as many quick shots. And if it wasn't so easy to guard the teams like Texas A&M were denying ball reversal and making continuity ball screen difficult. Cause that's what high major teams do. to continuity ball screen. Then maybe they could, but like conceptually that would be another thing about playing. So I don't think it's like, okay, Kyle often walk the ball up for and cross half court with like barely before that, the, the timer yeah. goes off and then like everyone get to spot like, you know, but like, a little bit more methodical, see if you can make the other team chase some, chase some guys off pin downs a little bit of that. Like, again, that's, that's just another thing I would say about playing slow is like, again, we're not suggesting that the Gators should just walk everywhere with the ball in their hands, but if they can just be a little bit more methodical and, and try to get trying to make the other team guard a little bit more, like maybe that's how you get a pretty good shot. Of course. And again, I'll say just like the ultimate example was like, would be a team like the 2014s that played slow, but got really good shots at the end of every possession. Like that would be the, the dream for any team. That's not great. You know, doesn't have a bunch of great individual offensive players. And it's like, it's also kind of funny too, because I look at this Florida team and like, they might have a few more guys capable of creating a shot than even like the 2014s did, but that, 2014 team was in another stratosphere offensively so um again i i i do wonder as as uh these gators kind of continue to find their you know they've well certainly found their identity it's on the defensive end but i don't know if they've like totally started playing like a team that is pretty bad offensively and and great defensively um and they could still kind of make some more strides towards playing like a prototypical team that's you know really good on one end but not so good on the other
0: yeah, no, I mean, that that would all be good. Anything to avoid another uh, 12 point half, Eric, where like, I just haven't ever seen that before. I've never seen a team shoot two of 26 and a half. Never. Um, and I watch Virginia play teams. So, <laughs> um, yeah, just not something I've seen. I know it's incredible. And then, yet, um, you know, Florida just came out in the second half, made some really nice adjustments. I thought, um, credit this staff, uh, like I said, they started attacking the ball pressure, um, sort of directly. Uh, I don't think they moved the ball any better in the second half. Really. It was just a matter of attacking a little more. Um, and you know, they scored 40 points in the second half, which for this offense is a veritable explosion. Uh, <laughs> and it, It just wasn't quite enough, I think, for two reasons. One, um, you know, as great as Colin Castleton was yesterday, Julius Marble got the better of him again. Um, And then I just honestly, like, Buzz Williams to me. Like, we talk about coaches stealing games. Like, I thought Buzz Williams kind of stole this game with, like, two timeouts.
1: Oh, man, and, like, he ran, like, five different elevator plays all around the floor throughout the game and like none of yeah, them like, well, too heavy. right Florida guarded them all really well which is excellent but it was just like interesting to see like when you of course you get to see a team um for the second time in like a span of two weeks to see those kind of adjustments. Um like I said too with the five out stuff they were trapping Castleton and blew up a lot of these Chicago actions that was really well defended. Um and then yeah some of the timeouts were excellent. Of course um the one that I had to tweet about tweet out because I thought it was hilarious. Um, was when, uh, you know, the ball goes to a wide open... Oh, I forget who even it was. One of his bigs in the corner, wide open jumper. And he doesn't like that look. He calls a timeout right before the ball leaves his hands. And uh, the shot clanked out. So they saved a possession that way. And uh, that was huge. And, like, I I honestly think the last two plays of the game were, like, just the perfect microcosm. Um, You know, four seconds left, the Gators force a turnover. And then with two seconds left, which, again getting a good shot on a slob with two seconds is hard. I'm not saying that, you know, very hard Florida should have won this game easily or any, or tied the game easily or anything like that. Yeah. But I don't think they got a good look at all. No. Um, and I've no, you know, there's some people that, you know, of course we're like, wow, look at, you know, Myron Jones. <laughs> like, I had a
0: suggestion about that. That's not what I would have done, what they did. Um, but I, I get it. And I thought, and I didn't mean to interrupt you. I, Like, I thought it was really well defended. Um, I thought the decision to put Marvel on the end on passer was really good. Um, But honestly, I might have had Myron. Like, I think, and I think there's NBA coaches that would probably agree with me. This is a rare, humble brag on this, but I really feel like, so Myron might be Florida's best passer other than Kyle Lofton, right? And, like, I feel like putting Myron, who's six four six five, as the inbound passer, he can see a little bit better. Um, and then with two and a half seconds, like, there's barely enough time for a catch and pass back, but at least that's an option that somebody has to think about. So you might be able to occupy a defender just getting them thinking about that. And then, you know, I don't know. I Then your other option is with Myron passing the ball in, you have kind of a chance to use – Castleton to set a screen and just see if you could get Riley Cougar or Will Richard, you know, maybe coming two different directions off that screen. Kugel headed downhill and Richard behind it where he's the shooter. I, I don't know. What what do you think about, you know, maybe using Myron as your trigger man there? Because that's really the only other suggestion I have. I don't really think like there's a whole lot you can do the way that it was defended by Texas A&M yeah again like
1: i think that's uh, what i'll I'll just complete my initial thought and that was just like it was a perfect microcosm the last two plays were perfect microcosm of the game because florida's defense gave them a chance to win and their offense wasn't close to good enough to to win and again that's yeah it's a tough situation offensively to try to get a bucket with two seconds left um particularly when most people in the gym were expecting trying to get the ball to Colin Caston close to the hoop. And that's the way that that's what Florida was trying to do. And that's the way that it was defended. Um, And when you know what's happening, it's a, that's a lot. Like, I, again, it's like funny, like on TV or I don't know, even, even live, I I swear. Like it's, it's like those sideline out of bounds plays, like look closer than they are when you're, when you're standing there on that sideline, that's a, it's a long way from the hoop and to try to make that pass is tough. So again, but it still was a situation where like, I don't feel like it was very well like the, just that offensive situation was not handled well. I'd be interested. And again, my only kind of thought would be, it just didn't really seem like there was a secondary option um, within that play. It was trying to go over the top to, to Colin Castleton, which is a yep. great idea towards the rim, put some pressure on the officials um, as much as marble and Coleman or whoever they could have had on the floor are big thick dudes. Colin Castleton is longer than, than anyone that, Texas A&M had in the front court. So like you throw it up there, Colin Castle's probably going to be the ones to get his hands on it, put some pressure on the officials. Maybe he just finishes. But again, it's just like when, when that was the prime, I just didn't feel like it was, uh, there was enough act. There wasn't enough of a secondary action. And again, a lot of these sideline out of bounds plays, you, you got to have some better options. I'm not saying there wasn't a bet. Like there wasn't a section, second option. You know, I think it was Kugel going to the corner. I forget who. It yeah. Was. I, I mean, I don't um, know that. Right. Exactly. But yeah, so that would be my just one one comment um, about it. Um, but it's just, it's also just one of those things where like, yeah, when you like don't score all game or well you don't score for 20 minutes and then you, you do actually score in the second half, but a lot of it is off the defense. Then when, you know, a play like that goes awry, it's pretty easy for a lot of people to roll their eyes and be like, well, this is, you know, a team that struggles to get anything offensively. So perfect microcosm of the game. Gators defense. Like when, when we thought the Gators had no chance, yeah. the defense gave them a chance when the offense had a chance to, to tie or win it uh you know the ball didn't even catch rim so
0: a uh, little bit of a bit of a tough tough way to lose for sure yeah no it really was and i felt bad for for well let me back up um and that's multiple options is really why i kind of favored the idea of jones as an inbounder too i just think it creates one other wrinkle for a defense to think about you know um cause you do probably have enough time to get a pass and a pass back. Although with Jones's release, maybe not. <laughs> um, but it's at least something to think about in, in, in any event. Yeah. It didn't seem to me like there were many other options available. And once they had marble on the inbounder, the play kind of seemed DOA right. And Florida's left without a timeout and they've got an inbound over six ten thick guy to try to get the ball to Colin Castleton. Um, but I felt bad for Myron in particular because I thought he was Florida's best player um, last night uh, as we record here on Thursday. But I thought he was just tremendous defensively, uh, especially in help defense. Um, you know, he did a really great job on Wade Taylor uh, helping a lot. Wade Taylor was two of 15. I mean, like, and he is a good shooter. Uh, you know, to a and guards were 5 of 24 and 0 of 8 from deep. I mean, Florida, like, just suffocated their backcourt. And that backcourt has been just blistering people, Eric. Um, and so, and I thought a lot of that was Myron. And then he was 3 of 10 from deep, which, like, that's not fantastic. Uh, but, you know, two of those were in the bucket and kind of came out. Um it it felt a little different. And I hate to say this because Myron's so streaky that he could go out next game and go like over four and none of them will look close. And that like wouldn't surprise me at all. Um but since I am in this 10-day moratorium or whatever, um what
1: what (laughs) else
0: I forgot about the moratorium. That's great. Since I'm in the since I'm in the 10 day moratorium, what I'll say is like he very easily could have been five of ten from three yesterday uh and you know a bunch of those shots looked really good man they just didn't go in yeah okay like obviously we were
1: pretty down on myron jones for like darn near a calendar year going back to the middle of the season last year up until a couple games ago yeah and even then i expressed some skepticism about him you know playing some pretty good basketball and like i've got to say like he's playing really good basketball. And like you said, could definitely be argued as Florida's best player. And like, the other thing too, was like last season, if he wasn't hitting shots, he was a a negative in so many aspects of the game this year looks like an entirely new player passing the basketball um, playmaking. And then of course you said, here's a guy that was like so poor defensive last year and suddenly he's defensively last year and he's been really good defensively. So like, man credit where credit's due like as as someone who was pretty negative about myron jones for a a long time like he's playing better basketball and um not even better basketball he's playing good basketball objectively good basketball and um i don't think i ever would have i didn't think i was gonna ever say that even when you know going back to when we were talking about florida's guards and wings and play and where we thought minutes would come from and roles like he did not factor into a lot of what I, like I thought he was going to be a gadget player who you'd throw in every once in a while and see if he could get hot. And we're in a situation where he can, like last year, if he went three for 10, that would be nowhere near good enough because he'd be a negative in other areas of the game. Whereas this, like he can have a night three of 10 and still be playing good basketball and being a positive contributor. So, Hey, full credit to him. That's, you know, I, if he, he shut us up a little bit, and that's one of the things too where like like you said there's a realistic possibility that against mississippi state he could well get hot but he could also go 0 of 7 from the three-point line but like there's still a chance that he like plays okay whereas that was not the situation last year when he was having bad shooting games it was pretty disastrous in a lot of ways so full credit to him and you know I, i i i i do wonder like what kind of stuff, you know, he was working on in the, in the off season, but yeah, again, just so much more comfortable coming off ball screens, so much more comfortable playing with his head up and keeping his dribble low. And like, he just looks like a different player with the ball in his hands, quite frankly, offensively, like he looks so much more comfortable handling the ball. Um, his, and that's the thing, like last year he made like good reads passing, but his handle was so bad. He just like never stressed the defense to a point where he was you know, in a situation where he could play, make yes. now he, we are seeing him actually, you know, playmaking. And of course his turnover numbers are really low as well. So we're seeing that, that intelligence he's had now, he just has a dribble where he can actually get, get some places on the court. And then, like you mentioned earlier, Wade Taylor and Tyrese Redford have killed a lot of teams, including Florida in their first matchup and they were held in Bay. And, and a lot of, a lot of that was, was Myron Jones. Um, playing good on ball defense and also is him playing really well as a help defender, sitting in the gap, yeah. stunting, getting back to his man. So um, yeah, God, I'm, I'm happy to say it, man. I'm, I, I don't take joy yeah. in talking negatively about, you know, any Florida player, no. but had to be pretty negative about Jones for a lot of his time. And I'm happy to say that he is uh, uh, looking like Florida's uh, one of Florida's most reliable guards right now.
0: Yeah. The last guy I wanted to talk about before we get into state was Alex fudge. Cause I felt like, like he goes two of 11 and misses three or four bunnies at the rim that he should make shot quality, you know, had eight of the 16 missed shots at the rim where fudge misses. Um But like, I don't want to drag the guy. Like, I feel like, like there was a lot of effort and kind of grit to some of his offensive rebounds that I think really helps his team. Again, I think he, I think he played a more disciplined game as a defender than we've seen. Like we've seen him like be the one guy who certainly can make an electric play on defense, but like sometimes tries to draw a charge and gets a block when like, you know, just play defense Uh, or sometimes goes for a steal and suddenly like it's five on four because he doesn't get there. Um, So I didn't think he took those risks and like coaching me was kind of like, good, like just – you're so long and, you know, like, just play. Like, you don't have to try to make a huge play all the time. That stuff will come. And then uh he hit three of his four free throws, Eric. Like, what did you see at his game? And the other thing was the three assists. Like, when Florida lifted the floor a little bit more um to attack that ball pressure, like, he did a pretty nice job with his reads and just, you know, hit Colin Castleton for, like, a dunk on one uh, or a layup. I think it wasn't a dunk, Um, but I mean, you know, I don't know. I didn't think it was that bad. Yeah, there was,
1: um, I, I do wonder like if whether consciously or subconsciously, like he is playing with the freeness of a man who knows he has no chance of losing his role. Now that, uh, um, you know, given the situation of Florida's front court. And and again, I know that's one thing we yeah, haven't really yeah. talked about on the podcast. And whatever um CJ Felder is, is going through, I, I hope he's getting yeah. the help he needs and, and the time he Me needs. Too. And like um whether he's he's back this this year um or not. Um, we have always been um fans of his ever since he committed to the Gators, and uh we yep. certainly, certainly wish him um all, all the best. But um as a hard transition back to the basketball side, it, it does mean that. Alex fudge is the starting power forward. And like, again, like maybe the Gators would go small and have will Richard at the four, but it looks a whole lot like the, that there's a whole lot of minutes at the four that are going to be Alex fudges pretty much no matter what. And he made some mistakes in the last couple of games and got to play through them. And he's playing with a lot more confidence. And again, some of that is like going to lead to like, man, he took in a, a egregious floater, um, falling towards the baseline um, that was, you know, s- something that like might get a guy pulled in a regular situation. He gets to play through <laughs> that. True. And like, and um, but like, and again, like, I don't, I don't want to like, I, it's almost like disrespectful to just be like, well, he's an incredible athlete and he's out there athleting. Cause that um, kind of the implication would be that he's not making smart reads, but like there's an, a- there's an aspect of him who's super long and super bouncy and super quick. And like that, help again when we're talking about the Gator sitting in the gaps a little bit more. It's like he's the guy who can sit in the gap and still close out to shooters, like even though he's far away from them. So, uh, I, I think he had some great moments as a help defender sitting in the gap and like aggressively closing out to shooters who, um, thought they were more open than they were because they're not used to having someone like Alex Fudge closing out to them. So, uh, again it's it's i i'm i'm liking how florida's defense is looking i like that they're protecting the rim a little bit more sitting in the gaps taking away drill penetration because as good as florida is defensively um the weak point would be that they're not very athletic at the guard spots and we saw that in the first texas a&m game that there's going to be some quick physical straight line drivers such as Tyus radford and wade taylor that um are going to have some advantageous matchups, but then you see how the Gators adjusted their defense and played much better the second time around. There's just going to be a lot of matchups like that in the SEC, I think, where the Gators are going to have to do kind of the same game plan. And like, hey, we saw that that game plan was 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 very successful. And um, Alex Fudge is is we talked about Myron Jones's like intelligence being a big part of the ability to, to to play that way. And Alex Fudge is making good reads and also has like you know the big physical tools to be able to play within that scheme as well.
0: That he does, and they will need those big physical tools uh, on Saturday night in Starkville uh, as Florida goes and, and tries to grab another top 100, Kim Palm Dub, um, They're going to do it against Chris Jans and New, Mex- New Mexico State. Good job, Neil. Uh, they they'll do it against Chris Jans and Mississippi State. Uh, Chris Jans in year one from New Mexico State they play a lot like New Mexico state did Uh slow methodical um, you know, long possessions, really good defensive team, uh, really, really guard the arc, which shouldn't bother Florida that much because Florida doesn't make anything out there anyway. Um, <laughs> uh, sorry. I'm not trying to turn this into bad jokes hour. Um, they kind of, Uh, are a mirror of Florida, honestly. Like, they just cannot score. They have a sensational big man. They've got one guy, uh, I think that can heat up like a microwave, sort of their Trey Bonham, uh, is Deshaun Davis, the uh transfer from Oregon State, about a 40% three point shooter. Um, he can really light you up. Hasn't been doing that as much in SEC play, uh, sort of like Trey Bonham. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean it's it's just interesting. The teams do do come off as rather similar, even though one would prefer to play slow and the other wants to get up and down.
1: Yeah, and that's really interesting in the concept of uh, or in the context of of earlier talking about the fact that I'd like to see the Gators play a little bit slower because um, Mississippi State. Uh, let's just get into the Ken Palm numbers, which will uh, help kind of frame the conversation or more support what you just said, Neil. So they're 173rd on offense. And ninth on defense, so this game will be coming to you. Right, what is there? what is the arena called? The Humphrey Humphrey Callis Humphrey yeah. Coliseum, know? something it's like that. Hump. The hump. It's the the yeah coming to you straight from the the Humphrey Quarry because this is going to be the rock fight of all rock fights. Ken Palm has it 63, 61, um for mississippi state home but this game could be yeah this game could be ugly and again it's like i I think because again it's two teams that struggle to score and are really good defensively and mississippi state will try to make it really slow and i'm the guy here on the podcast advocating for um the gators to try to play slow um so in the non-conference they again played no one i think they rattled off like 11 or straight wins or so um which actually I did have a couple of good wins. They beat Marquette at Utah on neutral sites. Uh, but right now they're one and six in their last seven. Um, they lost to Drake in their la in the last game of the season. Um, everyone think about Darian DeVries as this coach cycle, uh, you know, continues to the, the carousel begins to spin. He's a very good offensive coach. Um, and then uh, man, like I, I actually like, we don't need to talk about Florida schedule. Again, I actually think the Gators got a pretty beneficial start to their SEC season. Wish they were able to get some more wins, but like Mississippi State was done dirty. So they've already played Tennessee twice um, and they've played Alabama. So um, while they have also, you know, they've lost to Georgia, there are other four SEC games have been, or sorry, four of the other SEC games have been on the road at Auburn then they have played Tennessee twice and then they played Alabama. They did play Alabama at home, but like that is like one of the most difficult starts to the, I, I haven't looked at everyone. Like I haven't looked at everyone's sec schedule, but like, it's hard for me to imagine there being a more difficult first seven games to the sec schedule than Mississippi state has had. So like they're 12th in the league right now, but I mean, I think they're better than, than that metric um, would suggest, what do you, what do you think about, uh, what do you think about their schedule and, you know, some of the, some of this resume stuff?
0: Yeah. I mean, their conference strength of schedule is one. Oh, I didn't even think to look at that metric. That was smart. Yeah. No, thank you. Uh, so, no, it's all good. Uh, <laughs> so, so their, their conference strength of schedule metric is one. Um, and then in Warren Nolan, their overall strength of schedule, uh, vis-a-vis the rest of the sec is four. So it tells you that like their non conference kind of wasn't what you know everybody thought it would be, but they did beat Marquette, who's really good. Um, and you know, that was kind of it in terms of a, a signature win. Uh, Utah is a little bit better than people thought they were gonna be. They also beat them. Um, they beat a team that I think might make the NCAA tournament to open the season in Texas AM Corpus Christi. Uh, but that's like a low major win over a 14 or 15 or 16 even seed. Um, but still, like, I think a decent team. So it wasn't like they didn't play anybody, but their out-of-conference was was kind of musty. And then, you know, yeah, I mean, in-conference to play Alabama once and then Tennessee twice is just absolutely brutal. Um, and, you know, they got run out of the gym by Tennessee – Pretty much in both games, but they handled Mississippi. So, like the one team that's kind of a breather for them, other than Georgia, they handled. And we talked with Rocco about how like Georgia has played very well at home under Mike White. Who knows what that's all about, um, considering Michael's uh, checkered history with home home winning. Uh, but you know, they are I think a little bit better than their record. Uh, and then they have a guy that Florida just has not handled in their in his career. Like Tolu Smith has just kind of had his way with Florida, um, and so I think that's kind of the big deal. Like, can Florida prevent that from happening? And then they've got the secondary player in DJ Jeffries, Eric, who uh, plays the most for them. I mean, Chris Jans plays. One difference, I guess, between him and his New Mexico State team is. Unlike that team, and they're like hard as a rock, six, seven-man rotation. Like Jans is like a lot of first-year coaches. Even Mike White is playing nine or ten guys right now, just trying to figure out like what he has. And Chris Jans is playing ten guys more than ten minutes a game. DJ Jeffries is the one guy that plays 30 minutes a night, Eric. um, He takes a lot of shots. He doesn't make a lot of shots. Uh, but if he gets hot, which he can do, um, and if he gets putbacks on the glass where he feasts, um, he can become a problem. And those are kind of the two guys that you circle and you say, look, if, if Tolu goes off, okay, but you can't let both of them go nuts or it's probably another L for Florida.
1: Yeah, I mean, you mentioned that, uh, that Marble was able to kind of – play really well against the Gators um, in two matchups. And like, you'd like to see the Gators, you know, handle some of these, you know, interior presences a little bit better. Now the Gators play one of the, I I think better, you know, low post players in the league and Tolu Smith. Um, and and uh, Tolu Smith, of course, also makes the offensive rebounding work. Mississippi State is 15th in the country in offensive rebounding percentage, um, which is very benefit. Like, I mean, they're just reckless going to the glass and it's because they are horrendous shooting the basketball. Um, they are 335th in the country in effective field goal percentage, 345th in three point percentage. And to just like really just drive home how much they struggle with anything jump shot related, they are 359th in the country. In free throw percentage so they're going to miss a lot of shots and they go after the glass like they know that the shots are going to miss and uh they play pretty big across the front like totally smith is just massive you know 6 11 you know 250 then there's like dj Jeffries, like a six foot seven 220 pound wing who plays like pretty much most of his minutes at the three and then there's like some six foot seven six foot eight um interchangeable i'll say kind of guys at the four that i i I that's interchangeable because I haven't watched a lot of Mississippi State basketball. And what I do watch, they seem to kind of like blend together. I don't actually know their skill sets enough to know if they are truly kind of uh, interchangeable or play similarly, but like, yeah, like they're big across the front line, long athletic across the front line and they will just, you know, put that ball on the rim and, and, and try to go to work. And uh Jolie Smith is the best offensive rebounder. And yeah, it was like two years ago that he had the famous, well, famous in niche SEC basketball circles
0: had like 27
1: and 14 against the Gators and was outstanding. Um, that his at the time was just like, by far and away his best career game. I don't know if he's had one like that since. And then he also played well against the Gators last year. Um, so yeah, he's of course a, a pretty important player. Um, and then, I and then defensively, um, they're third in the country in steal percentage. So, of course, that's a, a a pretty pretty impressive number. And and then something that's like just again generally pretty interesting is as like you mentioned, Neil, their three point defense from a percentage standpoint has been really good. But they give up a ton of threes. They're 333rd in the country in in three pointers allowed, um, which again is is just part of their scheme. They're going to get in rotation, and then they're going to have all these you know, long front players crash down to protect the page. So they're willing to give up some threes. And so far they've had um, pretty good um, luck with not having teams hit a bunch of threes. And like, considering the way that the Gators have shot recently, you know, they're going to be fine with the Gators shooting threes. So it's going to be a a, a struggle to get anything on the inside. I think against this, you know, very good defensive team. And uh, that's another thing that's makes me think that this game is going to just be the rock fight of all rock fights.
0: Yeah, no, I think it's another fan roll matchup for Florida's guards. Um, you know, I really do. Uh, you know, Shaquille Moore is sort of the guy that will get the attention. He's certainly a, a thief merchant. Um, you know, uh, number one, I think, in the country the last time I looked in, in steel percentage. Hmm. Uh, so that's, that's pretty ridiculous. Uh, did it at NC State for Kevin Keats, I think. Um, right? That's where he was. And then comes over here. And um, you know, playing that kind of defense still couldn't hit the broadside of the barn shooting the basketball. Um, so you know, I don't know, like if ever there were a perfect matchup for Kyle Lofton, it's probably uh it's probably his counterpoint in Shaquille Moore. Um, and then like I said, Deshaun Davis, who doesn't do a lot of things well but can shoot uh and is graded by um synergy as their worst team defender they do a bunch of stuff defensively eric um i mean you mentioned their excellence on the grass uh, but they are just splendid um in their man defense which they mostly play they they do play a little bit of zone but it's mostly like a one-three-one 13 zone to kind of slow you down and then they like to press after makes um but that hasn't bothered the gators that much i think because kyle often is just so seasoned and totally unfazed by it or has been so far.
1: Yeah. I mean, we saw it or we've talked about the press lots because Mike White wanted to play press when he first uh, came to Florida. It is difficult to press at the high major level. And there's a reason why it's not super common. Um, But uh, Hey, it's uh, it's a situation where um, they are, trying to generate extra possessions and Hey, in fairness, like we mentioned before, their seal percentage has been really good. So they have had some success in the, with the press, but it is not something that really concerns me. I don't know. Like I just, whether it's just like Kyle often being a veteran, the fact that I just don't really believe in zones work, or sorry, in, in presses working at the highest level. Um, hopefully this isn't like jinxing the florida gators but i uh, i don't i don't anticipate the press being a big issue and no. uh you know what i don't think florida's going to score a whole lot and i don't think mississippi state's going to score a whole nope. lot so i don't know how much time they're how many opportunities they're going to really have to uh to set their 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 pressure as well but hey i guess if this does turn into a low possession game and both teams are struggling to score maybe it is just like one or two big steals that mississippi state could get that could be um, that could be something that that changes the the tempo of the game. But uh yeah, as if the as if the game didn't have any, you know, needed more potential for being ugly. Um, the fact that there could be some press mixed in to make things a little more chaotic or slow things down a little bit more, um, that's there as well.
0: Yeah, no, no doubt. And like I said, I think Florida can exploit the guard situation here. I really do. Um, you know, Eric Reed is their other guard that they play a lot. Uh and he's the classic Eric Fawcett example of like a really solid mid-major player who has just had such a hard time making the adjustment. Um, he was scoring 17 points a game in the OVC last year. And, man, the sled is not the same in in the power six. He's, at, he's averaging just 5.5 uh, in league play um, and shooting uh, 19% from three in league play. Uh, and 28% on the season uh, after being a much better shooter at SEMO last year. So another guy that I think Florida can can rattle a bit or at least corral. Um, you know, the big thing is Florida can win the guard battle. Can they turn people over? Um, Shaquille Moore can be a little turnover prone. Uh, and then Deshaun Davis turns it over one of, once every four possessions. So a guy that, you know. He's going to try to make plays, and that's what Christian puts him out there to do, but you know, maybe Florida can get some easy buckets on the road. They need to. Zero fast, ba- zero fast break points at Texas A&M, um, and that's, uh, that's not going to cut it for this particular offensive Florida team, Eric.
1: And again, with Mississippi State going so hard um, on the glass, um, there is some opportunity to run if you do get a defensive rebound. Again, it's, it's still like... Mississippi State still had a lot of success going after the glass and still getting back in, in transition. But as much as I talk about that, I think the Gators maybe should play slow. It's like, yeah, they still have to run when they get the opportunity to do so to get some, some efficient shots there. But uh, yeah, I am uh, fascinated to see um, how this one goes. Um, I think that my, my one question I was, I'm going to go back to, uh, to a previous conversation we were having about Myron Jones Myron Jones is stringing together some decent shooting games, um, well, actually some good shooting games, and then just had a, you know, we'll call it decent shooting game, three for 10, a little bit below average. Those three for 10 games are kind of funny because if he hits four for 10, it's a really good shooting game, but three for 10 is like not a good shooting game, so we'll call it a okay shooting game. He's, uh, I think, going to have opportunities to let some shots uh, launch here against Mississippi State, who gives up a lot of threes. Uh, what are you expecting the three-point line? You, you can answer it however you want. You don't have to say an exact. But uh, what are you expecting from Myron Jones? Is just his shooting against Mississippi State?
0: Yeah, I mean, like I will take three for eight. You know, please give me three for eight, not three for <laughs> ten. Um, that'd be fine because I know he's gonna fire away. I also think like with the size of with with Miss State's guards being smaller, um, like even though they have the trees underneath, like maybe a decent chance for a little more Trey in this game. Um, And the way that this state's scheme kind of allows you to, to bomb away with a little bit of space, like also maybe kind of suitable for Trey. So be good to get him going because he is a dynamic offensive player. And this team, we mentioned that they have them, um, which kind of makes it all the more mystifying that they have so much trouble scoring, but I'll let Eric, uh, close us out with any final thoughts he has and, and, uh, and a sign off.
1: Yeah. We haven't really talked about Trey Bonham recently. And I don't really have any, anything to add. It just seems like with Myron Jones playing better and the fact that the staff sees Trey Bonham is not a true point guard. I would say that's the biggest kind of difference between what I think. And, and I guess that what the staff thinks is I would like to see more Trey Bonham point guard minutes. This team yep. seems to not see him as a point guard. So it's, with Kyle Lofton and Meyer Jones getting those kind of opportunities. Um, yeah, bottom's getting squeezed and it's, uh, it's tough to be a, a smaller guard that is a kind of shooter off dribble, tough shot maker. Um, yeah, it can be tough when you get small minutes to kind of get your rhythm and, and make something happen. But like, again, like you mentioned, Neil, like if the Gators going to struggle like this, if someone can prove to make shots in whatever role they get, or however many minutes they get, um, there should be a role for them on the team. So that hasn't been the case in, in recent games for, for Bonham who's coming and struggled, but uh, would love to see him get back on, uh, get back on some of that offensive juice he was on a little bit earlier because he was he was playing really well and, and making shots for a team that needed it. But uh, yeah, going to be an interesting one. I have said it multiple times. I'll say it once again, this has the potential to be the rock fight of all rock fights, um, which I would absolutely take it. Take <laughs> great pride in if the Gators were to win it. So uh, we'll
0: see what happens. Uh, go Gators and keep attacking closeouts.